eight women who fought back and were sent to prison as a result. Did the abuse they suffered in any way justify what they did? Do any of these women deserve a second chance? This is the story of the Framingham Eight. In the early 1990s, local organizations and services for incarcerated women gave voice to a larger underlying issue, domestic abuse. Boston found itself at the center of a national conversation about domestic abuse when the Framingham Eight, a group of eight incarcerated women imprisoned for murdering their abusers in self-defense, demanded their own commutations. These women argued that the failures of multiple systems, legal, economic, racial, resulted in them not having the legal and police protections from their abusers necessary for their and their children's survival. For the last 30 years, Boston has slowly become a national leader in domestic abuse response by coordinating police with advocates and social service providers. We weren't working together. Law enforcement had one piece of information. The courts had another piece of information. We had another piece. So in 2005, they created the nation's first domestic violence high-risk team. Advocates, police, prosecutors, corrections, ER staff, helping victims in the most lethal situations. In the process, they also reframed many reproductive justice conversations. Let's be honest, potential parents aren't the only ones involved in making reproductive decisions. There are the larger contextual factors, like racism, that we've explored a little on our walk, but there are also individuals and groups that weigh in on who gets to be parents. There are medical providers, politicians, criminal justice affiliates, religious leaders, and activists. Even TV talk show host Dr. Phil weighs in. Having been trained as a forensic psychologist, I've been called upon as an officer of the court to render opinions about the fitness of a parent. And while there are some differences, minor differences from state to state, they all generally adhere to these basic 10 principles right here in determining fitness of a parent. And number one is, is that parent able to provide a safe, stable, and secure environment for the child? Many of these voices deploy the concept of quote-unquote fitness in the larger conversation about reproduction and parenthood. Who is a fit parent? Who gets to define fit? How much power do they wield? And what tools of enforcement do they have at their disposal? What happens when these outside stakeholders define fit differently? And perhaps most importantly, what does all this mean about reproductive rights and choices for individuals? Consider these conflicts over the fitness to parent. This beautiful landmark church has, like most houses of worship, many ways of injecting itself into reproductive justice conversations and debates. Perhaps most obviously, weekly sermons can take up issues that may sway parishioners. But the church can also house meetings, groups, and events. Starting in 1983, the Cathedral Church of St. Paul hosted Aid to Incarcerated Mothers Organization on its fourth floor. Incarcerated mothers lie at the heart of the debate around fitness to parent and how that framing of fitness is intertwined with inequality and inequity in the legal, medical, 
and economic systems. While the state mandated that a person convicted of a crime must, at least temporarily, forfeit the right to parent, here we have a church challenging, or at least adding nuance to the state's determination of a fit parent. Aid to Incarcerated Mothers Organization worked to maintain mothers' relationships with their children, despite their imprisonment. It held holiday gift drives so that children could get Christmas gifts from their mothers, which would in turn help sway parole boards and foster care system workers who determined if and when parents could reunite with their children. It also engaged with larger policy debates about which communities were more heavily and punitively policed, unfair sentencing guidelines, and needed post-release supports for mothers to ensure that they could gain and keep custody of their children. In housing the Aid to Incarcerated Mothers organization, the Cathedral Church of St. Paul also invited attention to what precipitated mothers' incarceration in the first place. The Framingham Eight and many groups like Aid for Incarcerated Mothers housed in this church asked if a parent is imprisoned for protecting themselves and their children from violence. Are they indeed unfit to parent? If a society isn't willing to address a pandemic of domestic abuse in its midst, does it forfeit its ability to determine the fitness to parent of abusers and abused? Or does the responsibility fall entirely on an individual parent, even in extreme circumstances? This site shows how larger systems and stakeholders that shape the very definition of parenthood play as much a role in reproductive justice as the decisions of individuals. After all, how can a system have authority to define fitness of potential parents while simultaneously imprisoning parents who protect their children from abuse? How can it be that the abused are the ones imprisoned and the children most fiercely protected separated from parents? These are complex questions with complicated and nuanced answers that are both specific to individual circumstances and woven into multiple interlocking systems of dysfunction and inequity. Our next stop is at 145 Tremont Street. <laughs> 